I had a neighbor once who was landscaping his yard and had this scrawny little tree that didn't fit into his plans. So one day he decided to yank it out of the soil. He spent the whole weekend trying to get that tree out of his yard. Finally, he gave up and said, I've never seen such a scrawny tree have such deep and strong roots. It's true with followers of Christ too. Sometimes we're a little small and ugly, but our roots go deep down into God. What determines whether this seed will take root and bear fruit in your life is not on the seed, it is on the soil or the condition of our hearts. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. There's an old story Jesus told about a farmer who spread seed and the difference between the seed that landed on rocky surfaces and the ones that went into good soil. This week, Charles Tapp reveals what this story means for you today and for that person in your life who maybe hasn't made that decision to follow Christ. As he shares the third part in his series, Keys to the Kingdom, with his message, No Root, No Fruit. Today, we begin part three of our series, Keys to the Kingdom. As we've been focusing on Matthew chapter 13, where the gospel writer presents seven parables that Jesus shared for the purpose of giving his hearers greater insights into the nature and into the character of the kingdom of God. Otherwise referred to as kingdom parables, these seven dynamic stories, according to Jesus, when asked why he taught in parables, were for the purpose of revealing the mystery of the kingdom of God. And as I said earlier, the purpose of these parables was to provide greater insights into God's view of the kingdom, while at the same time helping to clear up many of the erroneous views that were heralded by those who were eagerly awaiting the coming of the kingdom. And as we all know oh so well, a well-told story has the power not only to captivate, but it also has the power to motivate and call to action. But that's the power of a well-told story. And Jesus was a master at telling stories, stories that would captivate, motivate, and call to action. But in addition to this parable, parables were used by Jesus as a means to allow him to continue to promote the gospel admits a severely intense background of opposition. Because when you look at Jesus' audience, it was comprised of what we would call the mixed multitude. There were those who were for Jesus, and then there were those who were against Jesus. Parables allowed Christ to, to share the truth with those who had a sincere desire to follow him, while at the same time, parables allowed him to conceal from those who had no desire to follow him at all. And in many cases, as we know from the gospel, were actually hostile toward Jesus. 
In part one of our series, in case you weren't here, we looked at the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven or the yeast. And the reason why Jesus grouped these two stories together is because basically they tell the same message. They give the same insight, the same mystery of the kingdom of God. And that is simply this, that although the kingdom of God at its initial stages may appear to be obscure, it may appear to be insignificant like the mustard seed and the leaven, there is power that lies within. As it says in Zechariah 4, verses 8 to 10, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And those who were looking for the kingdom of God to come, as we know, were looking for this kingdom to come in all of its power and grandeur. But instead of Christ coming as a king, he came as a babe in the manger, tiny, obscure. But within the life of that babe was the life of the kingdom of God. God. Part two, we looked at the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, Matthew 13, 44 to 46. And the insight that Jesus gave as it relates to his kingdom is this, that with the kingdom of God comes great sacrifice. So if I want to be part of the kingdom of God, it's going to come at a great sacrifice to me. We all know that because Jesus himself said, listen, if you want to be one of my disciples, you've got to be willing to take up your cross and do what? To follow me. It comes at great price. And some of you have paid that price. Some of you are about to pay the price. Some of you are paying the price right now in your homes, in your jobs, in your communities, because you decided to follow Christ. That's the sacrifice we make so that we can be part of the kingdom of God. But here's the thing that Jesus wants to share in this parable. The greatest sacrifice that was made in relationship to the kingdom of God is not the sacrifice that you and I make. The greatest sacrifice that was made in relationship to the kingdom of God is the sacrifice that God himself made. John 3, 16, for God so what? Loved the world that he became his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christianity is the only religion in the world where its leader died for its followers to save them. That is the greatest sacrifice ever given. Then we looked at another parable, the parable found in Matthew chapter 13, which is where our focus is today, verses 1 to verse 9. It is also the first parable in this series of what we call kingdom parables. Look at what the word of God says. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and set by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and set and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them, how? In parables, saying, now here's the parable. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured it. Some fell on stony places 
where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no what? Root. They withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Verse 8. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Look at verse 9. He who has what? Ears, let him hear. One of the main things that distinguishes this parable from most of the parables that Jesus told is that in this parable, he actually gives an explanation as to what the meaning of the parable is. And I don't know about you, but I don't like that. I want to work at it. I want to dig it out myself. But for some reason, Jesus did not allow that. He tells us the parable and then gives us the meaning of the parable itself. Why did he do that? Do you know why? I'll tell you. I don't know. No, seriously, I have no clue as to why he tells all these other parables and then is silent. But then when he shares this parable, he says, oh, and by the way, this is the meaning behind this parable. Let's take a look at it. Matthew again, 13, verses 18 to verse 23. Here's the meaning. And he says, therefore, hear the parable of the sword. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives what? Seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with what? With joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation, listen to this, or persecution arises because of the word. Don't miss that. Jesus says this represents one who receives the word, but then is persecuted for the very word that he receives. Immediately he does what? He stumbles. Now, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and care and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word that he received and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces, listen to this, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. If you've been a member of Sligo Church for any length of time, you know that one of my favorite loves is gardening. I love to garden. And as I've said on countless occasions before, I feel closest to God when I am in the dirt. I don't know why, 
But it's something that I experience when I, when I place my hand into that rich, dark soil of the earth that makes me feel as though God is right there with me. Because there's something about being in God's earth. It even makes me feel like a creator at times. But whenever I mow the lawn and I edge it up and I pull the weeds and I get everything just nice, this is what I do, okay? I go over to the farthest end of my yard and I stand there like this. And I'm not kidding you. I say to myself, and this is good. I'm sure my neighbors are looking at me like, what in the world is this man doing? But I stand and then I move to the other side. I got to get it from all points of view. And I go, if I say so myself, this is good. I can't explain it. I don't know why it is. But when I'm playing in the dirt, when I'm touching that soil, I feel closest to God. And the greatest aspect of this whole experience for me is in knowing that if I just put these little seeds in the ground and water them over the next several weeks, life will spring forth from the earth. That is, if the seeds that I've planted take root, no root, no fruit. Here's the thing. The parable of the sower is also called the parable of the soil. Did you know that? Which makes sense when you listen to Christ's explanation of this parable of the sower. For the word or the message of the kingdom of God represents, is represented rather by the seeds. And here's what I see, here's what I hear Jesus saying. That the word of the kingdom, otherwise known as the word of God, has power both to convict as well as to convert. And that's what Paul meant in 2 Timothy 3.16 when he says, all scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. And it is good for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In other words, it is good in training you how to live in conformity to the will of God so that the man of God, as well as the woman of God, may be thoroughly furnished, thoroughly equipped to do the work of God. But please don't miss this. I also hear Jesus saying this, that in order for this transformation that we've been talking about to take place, the seed taking root. The onus, the culpability, is not on the seed. It is on the condition of the soil. So if the seed represents the word of God and the soil represents us and our hearts, Jesus is saying through this parable, what determines whether this seed will take root and bear fruit in your life is not on the seed, it is on the soil or the condition of our hearts. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, No Root, No Fruit. 
And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Jesus came here for you. No matter what your skin color is. Jesus came here for you if you're Republican, Democrat, neutral, don't know or don't care, or any political party. Jesus came for the far left and the far right, or if you're somewhere in between. Jesus came for the person who cut you off in traffic. Jesus came for the homeless, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. Jesus came for love. Love. Jesus came for you and for all his children. We're here to remind you of that. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. And 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And when seeds are planted in good soil, it creates a strong root that goes down deep and bears lots of fruit. It's the same the moment God's kingdom comes alive in your life. Charles Tapp picks up with the rest of his message. No root, no fruit. He says, some of you have hearts where it's hard for you to understand the word of God, so the enemy comes and takes it away. Some of you have a heart where the word of God is only on the surface, and you experience joy at the beginning. You know how we experience joy when we hear something? We go to church, somebody preaches, oh, man, that was a great sermon. What did he say? I don't know, but it was good. It doesn't go below the surface. And because it doesn't go below the surface, it doesn't take what? Root. And because it doesn't take root, it can not bear fruit. Then Jesus says, some of you have a heart that is full of the cares of this life, full of the cares of this world, and you are more concerned with trying to make a living, trying to gain material things, that you don't have any room for the Word of God to take root in your life, so these other cares choke it out. Remember a pastor telling me a few years ago, his next-door neighbor was laying out on the patio. He hadn't seen him the whole time he lived there. Huge house, probably about 4,000 square feet. Now, let me just pause here to say this. When did we start keeping up with the square footage in our homes? When I was a kid growing up, nobody talked about how many square feet they had. Now you have kids telling other kids how many square feet their parents' homes have. But this man said, I spent all my time working to get this house. I have no time to enjoy it. He said, we're so caught up in the things of this world, in the things of this life, that the word of God that has come into our lives doesn't have any room to take root because of all these other cares that choke it out. And if you know anything about something that you plant, if you've got roots too many in the ground, they choke out what you've planted. But then Jesus says, but some of you have hearts where the soil is good. In other words, he's saying where your heart is receptive to the word of God, where it's not only receptive to the word of God, once you hear it, you are committed to doing the word of God because you want to be more than just a hearer of the word. You want to be a doer of the word. And Jesus says, when that happens, the seed takes root. And whenever the seed of the word of God takes root in a person's heart, in a person's life, it will bear fruit. Who says amen to that today? Sometimes the word of God calls for us to do drastic things, to make drastic changes in our lives. 
Sometimes the word of God will call for us to walk away from things and away from people if we allow it to take root. One of my favorite theologians, John Stott, look at what he says here. He says, we must allow the word of God to do what? Confront us. Have you ever had to confront someone who was going in the wrong direction? We must allow the word of God to confront us, to what? Disturb our security, to do what? To undermine our what? Complacency. And to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. In other words, when we're confronted with the word of God, sometimes it will pull at us, other times it's going to have to stretch us, but every time it's going to call for a change. You know I've had surgery, my second surgery in six months on this shoulder. After the surgery, I couldn't even do this. Now I can do this and this. But do you know how that happened? Do you know how that came about, that progress? I heard somebody say it. Physical therapy. There's a reason it's called physical therapy. Because they get physical, Johnson. You know, when I first had surgery, they just said, take your hand and climb up the wall. So I did that. I go, man, after the first week, man, look at me. I'm climbing up the wall. But then they had me come in. They had me do all these little exercises. First week, I said, no problem. I got this. It's going to be a praise. Week two, after the exercises, they said, now we're going to stretch you. You're going to stretch who? So we're going to stretch you. Stretch me where? So I laid down. They grabbed this arm and took it to places I never knew it could go. <laughs> and I kid you not, at one point, my therapist, she's a great, great therapist. They all are. But at one point, she took my arm and she put it in a place. And if she had held it for one more second, this 58-year-old man would have cried like a baby. When she let go of me, she said, you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> they did that for a week, two weeks. Then I went back again. And I'm going, wow, 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 wow. I haven't been able to touch my head in weeks. Wow. What John Stott was trying to say, that when you and I allow the word of God to come into our lives, it's going to stretch you. It's going to pull at you. It's going to tug at you. It's going to snatch you. It's going to do all kinds of things to you. It may hurt, but not to harm you. For if I not have been faithful to allowing them to pull on me, to tug on me, and almost make this 58-year-old man cry, I would never have the use the arm that I have now. And here's the thing. She said, listen, you're progressing well. In about a year, you'll be able to do this. Some of us have the heart that is stony and we're stubborn. And we would rather take tradition over the word of God. Some of us have our own personal ideologies. And we think that they transcend the word 
of God. Some of us use culture as an excuse. Well, but my culture says this. Listen, when you become a child of God, you're now in the kingdom culture. And the thing that gives life to the kingdom is when the word of God takes root in a person's heart. That's where the kingdom of God begins. So when you and I pray the prayer that Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is what we're asking God for. We're asking God for his word to take root in our lives so that we can bear fruit. Because without root, there is no fruit. Here's the question all of us need to ponder on, and that is this. Where do we fall in this parable? Which heart do we have? This parable not only reveals the nature of the kingdom, this parable also reveals the character of the love of God. This farmer, the parable says, takes his seed and just starts sowing indiscriminately. Now, I may be a gardener, but I'm not a master gardener. But I know that if I want seed to grow, I better put it where it needs to be, where it can take root. But this man, this sower, this farmer is sowing indiscriminately, almost carelessly, not caring where the seeds fall. And as I thought about that this morning, I said, why would he do that? If this sower represents God, why would God just sow seed anywhere? Here's why. God knowing that some people's hearts are stony and they would never take root and they would never bear fruit, he loves them so much, he's going to sow seeds where he knows it's not even going to take root. And that's what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45 when he says, God allows his son, S-U-N, to shine on the just as well as what? The unjust. He allows the rain to fall on what? The righteous as well as the unrighteous. This parable shows us just how big the love of God is. It is so big that God will give people a chance to become part of his kingdom who he already knows will never accept the kingdom of God. You see, you and I, we're going to sow our seeds where we can get the biggest reward. God sows his seeds everywhere, and he knows already most of us not even going to take root. But the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. So he's giving everybody an opportunity, even if he knows they won't take it. So nobody can ever say to God, you never gave me an opportunity. Here's the other piece that we need to understand when it comes to the kingdom of God that comes from this parable. And that is this that the kingdom of God is not irresistible. God does not compel anyone to accept him or his kingdom. You can't call that anything but love. But for many of us, that can be the most frustrating thing. How many of you have friends and family that you've been trying to witness to? You've been sharing the word of God with them. You've been praying but it never takes root. Why? Because God loves you so much. He loves me so much. He will give us the opportunity to reject him 
So even though the kingdom of God comes in its power, and Jesus showed that through his teachings and through the healings and the miracles, but God will never compel anyone to accept him. The only one who could do that is God, and God restrains his own self. So here's the challenge today, because the problem is not with the seed. That's not why it doesn't take root. The problem is with the soil, the condition of my heart and your heart. This is where the kingdom of God truly comes into play. It is with the marriage of the seed taking root in the heart of the believer to the point where he or she can say, God, thy kingdom come, your will be done. No root, no fruit. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, No Root, No Fruit. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Next week, Charles Tapp continues with the fourth part in this series, Keys to the Kingdom, as he shares a message titled, Not in My Field, Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life. Jesus came here for you. No matter what your skin color is. Jesus came here for you if you're Republican, Democrat, neutral, don't know or don't care, or any political party. Jesus came for the far left and the far right, or if you're somewhere in between. Jesus came for the person who cut you off in traffic. Jesus came for the homeless, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. Jesus came for love. Love. Jesus came for you and for all his children. We're here to remind you of that. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. And 88.3 on the Eastern Shore.